0: This song sounds exactly the same as all the other songs. They all sound alike, these little early 20s jazzy doos or whatever the fuck. This one, as if it matters, is called My Rambler Rose. Written by Gene Buck, Lewis Hirsch, and Gene Stamper. But I'm not here to talk about Gene Buck, Lewis Hirsch, and Gene Stamper. I would like to talk about Wallace Beery. Because I live near the Hollywood Walk of Fame now, and I was walking down the Walk of Fame. And I saw the star of Wallace Beery and thought... Holy shit. I thought that was a made-up name in the movie Barton Fink. Because if you are a Barton Fink fan... And you're probably not, because that movie... Well, it's a movie about self-important writers so they basically made a movie about me but in that movie you may know that he is writing a movie for wallace beery and it turns out that's a real person and i looked up his wikipedia page and hoo boy i usually go through the wikipedia page of some long dead jazz musician in this intro but i'm expanding to actors today because wallace beery's wikipedia page is really something so wallace beery whose star is located at 7001 Hollywood Boulevard. I know the area now. That is uh, located between the 8th vape shop on that block and the pile of human feces. It's uh, pretty much the best spot on that block. Uh, But Wallace Beery starred in uh, 800 billion movies in the 1910s, 20s, 30s, and into the 40s. That's barely an exaggeration. There are so many movies in his... Filmography. It's like he was doing porn. Because he's in like three movies a week for 20 years. He's often playing the tough guy or the bad guy. He's not like a leading man. He's like a tough, I don't know, like Bruce Willis kind of guy. Bruce Willis is going to love that comparison when <laughs> I get further into this Wikipedia page. But apparently he's one of the only actors that made the transition to movies with sound well. He apparently had a big booming voice... So, though he started in silent films, made the transition to the talkies, as they say. And somehow kept getting these film roles, even though he was, by pretty much every account, a gigantic bastard. How big of a bastard? Well, big enough that I'm not going to go through every detail of this Wikipedia page, because this is still nominally a comedy podcast, and some of this stuff is dark. But some of the less dark stuff includes the fact that apparently one of his co-stars called him, quote a shitty person, (laughs) which I think is pretty to the point. I also think it's funny to get that on your Wikipedia page to be shitty enough that it's like, nah, we need to quote that. We need to get this on the record. What caused him to be called a shitty person? Well, a lot of things. Among them, uh, he protested the creation of Jackson Hole National Monument. He did not think the Grand Tetons should be protected, so... (laughs) He compared the designation of the National Park to Hitler's taking of Austria. Seems like a bit of an overreaction. And also, uh, Austria wanted to be part of Germany. Let's not forget that detail. Bit of an overreaction led a protest of 500 cattle going across the National Park without a permit. What a class act. Sort of an early day Clive and Bundy. It goes on from there. He did not leave tips. Class act. He was accused of stealing props from the MGM lot, which I think is uh, funny to be like, whoa, a palm tree. Whoa, a big foam rock. And then just like put that under your coat and walk home at the end of the day. Odd, odd man. He also went to lunch with a child actor and then tried to charge the kids 75 cents for the lunch, which that's, come on. That's pretty funny. 75 cents. ...is a hilarious amount of money. I know you could buy a house with that back then, but that's still uh, quite a move, Wallace Beery. So there we go. A few days ago, I did not know this was a person. Now I saw his star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame, and I know that he was a person, and he was an asshole. And now you know, too. I'm glad I was able to resurrect his memory. Hello. You're listening to the I Might Be Wrong podcast. This is the podcast, apparently, where I spit on the grave of the long dead... And then I usually read an article about politics. I'm Jeff Maurer. This is, of course, the audio version of the stuff that I write on my Substack, which is iMightBeWrong.substack.com. The episode typically is the article, though only if you listen to the podcast do you get to hear me mock dead people who cannot defend themselves. And now let's get to the episode. Today's episode is called What Makes a Good President? I wanted to write this one because last week there was a bunch of Twitter chatter about Jon Stewart possibly running for president. Basically, one person wrote an article, one person. That's all it takes to get Twitter debating should Jon Stewart run for president. I think he should not, and I think we should frankly stop calling for celebrities to run for president. But just stating that opinion doesn't get you very far. I thought I would try to get into why I feel that way. So, here we go. The episode is What Makes a Good President, subheading, does Jon Stewart have those traits? So the head of a PR firm, yes, that's who we're listening to now, the head of a PR firm, because they have all the wisdom, wrote an article in Politico, again, this is all that it takes to get Twitter going, about Jon Stewart running for president in 2024. The article is called, If Tucker Runs in 2024, Here's Who the Democrats Need. By Tucker, I assume she means the titular character of the sitcom Tucker, which ran on NBC for 10 episodes in, in 2001. Why do I remember that? It's unbelievable that I remember that. If anyone else out there remembers that, if anyone gets the reference I just made, write to me and I will give you a free subscription to my completely free Substack and Podcast. Anywho... People were talking about Jon Stewart running. That got me thinking about a scene from the best and worst TV show of all time, Game of Thrones. This scene is from season four, which is back when the show was a vivid meditation on power and inhumanity. This was before it became the intellectual equivalent of two clowns lighting their farts on fire. The scene, if you know the show, you might remember this. King Joffrey has died. His younger brother, Tommen, has become king. And while the corpse is still laying in rest in the Red Keep, Tywin Lannister starts to counsel young Tommen. He asks him, what makes a good king? Tommen says, eventually says, wisdom. And Tywin says, yes, but what is wisdom? Now, the scene, I like the scene. It also reminds me that I would cast the guy who plays Tywin Lannister, an actor whose name is Charles Dance. I would cast him in literally anything up to and including the lead role in a Serena Williams biopic. Charles, if you are listening, and I assume that you are, write to me. I will, I will get you on American Auto, even though I kind of seriously doubt I actually have the power to do that. I'm just a writer. But nonetheless, write to me. I'll put you in something. Anyway, I like the scene because it really does get me thinking about what does make a good ruler, what makes a good president. I think I agree with the scene that it's wisdom, but as he asks in the scene, what is wisdom? Let's unpack that a little bit. Now, I started writing this article and noticed that when thinking about what makes a good president, it's tempting to just list a billion positive traits. Because after all, shouldn't the president be You know, strong, and smart, and enlightened, too, and informed, and compassionate, and steadfast, and limber, and a good cook, and they should maybe smell like cinnamon, and be able to dunk, and they should own a bunch of cool shit, and probably know a few card tricks, and honestly, being good at kung fu wouldn't hurt. I'm sure we can all agree on that, but I'm going to try to identify a few key traits that should be considered essential. So, in no particular order, here are the traits that I think a good president needs to have. Trait number one, knowledge. Being president is not like being a film noir gumshoe. You cannot get by on hunches and horse sense. You have to know stuff. You need a good working knowledge of let's say, history, law, philosophy, economics, and about a dozen other things. This is, by the way, why I really like the part of the Constitution that says you have to be 35 to be president. Because after all, no one can acquire the knowledge that you need to be president in fewer than 35 years, even if they did forego the part of their youth that involves binge drinking and weird sex, which, of course, nobody should. And knowledge, it should be noted, is not the same thing as intelligence. If you transported Isaac Newton, I'd say he was a smart guy. If you transported him to the present day, he'd be an awful president because he does not have well-considered opinions on things like, for example, the nuclear triad or renewable energy. He would also probably spend most of every day cowering in a corner, terrified of all the cars and airplanes. He's just not suited for the job. A beautiful mind is a great thing, but a beautiful mind that does not possess the relevant information is about as useful in this context as a Formula One car with a beehive under the hood. And of course, it seems, <laughs> I would say, pretty fucking obvious that the president should know about president stuff. But apparently, it does need to be said. People are always calling for folks like Oprah or Dwayne the Young Rock, Tuesdays on NBC, Johnson, to run for president, even though they show no signs of knowing a great deal about government. They both seem like nice people. Dr. Oz, there's another one. He's running for Senate, his main qualification being that he had a TV show that proved that he's a terrible doctor. Football great Herschel Walker is running for Senate, despite perhaps knowing less than any person who has ever lived. Look, I want my dentist to know about dentistry. I want my plumber to know about plumbing. And I similarly want my president to possess the knowledge he needs to do his job well. The Romans did not know That lead pipes can poison people. That's true. The Crusaders did not know that the Middle East is hot. The French revolutionaries did not know that if you keep printing money, inflation will happen. History is full of bad decisions caused by not knowing stuff. The more stuff the president knows, the better his decisions are likely to be. So, trait number one, knowledge. Trait number two, ethics. And by ethics, I mean more than just don't be a Boris Johnson-esque ethical dumpster fire, though that is part of what I mean. A president should be trustworthy, and he should also be smart enough not to trade his credibility for a couple of blowjobs, like Bill Clinton did. Clinton's credibility, of course, was worth nothing fewer than six full fuck sessions and a birthday threesome. The fact that he accepted less than that, I think, represents a major moral failing on his part. But most of what I mean when I say that a president should have ethics is that he should be willing to do what's right, even when that thing is difficult. If knowledge helps a president know which way we should go, ethics compels him to have the courage to lead us there. The easiest thing a leader can do is to figure out what people want and then give them that thing no matter what it is. This craven impulse leads to things like pogroms, the Chinese Exclusion Act, and a billion TV reboots that would not exist in a just society. I recently saw there, rebooting Joe Millionaire, I feel comfortable comparing that to a pogrom. Now, A government that does nothing but process people's existing beliefs is a government that has abandoned the idea of promoting progress. There should be times, I think, when the government does thing X, even though thing X is not popular. Unpopular actions come at a cost to the president almost by definition, and a good president needs to be willing to bear that cost. A person who just goes with the flow at all times and gives people what they want should become a wedding DJ. The presidency is for people who know how to stand firm. Trait number three, leadership. I want the president to be ethical, but I do not want him to be politically suicidal. The trait of leadership acknowledges that knowing what's right and pursuing what's right are not enough. You have to be able to get people to follow you. And this is where many of the traits that people often associate with the presidency or any leadership role come into play. A few paragraphs up, I sneered at calls for athletes and other celebrities, other popular people to turn to politics. But let me say that it certainly does not hurt for a president to be a popular person. The most enlightened agenda in the world is useless without the right messenger. So a president has to be likable. He should be suave and personable and maybe have a great biography and also probably have the patience not to make the wrap-it-up gesture when a citizen starts to ramble at a town hall. I've been to town halls more easily said than done. Leadership, of course, also includes strategy. I want the president to to always pursue what's right, except for sometimes. You have to be practical. For example, I think that gay rights are very important, but I would also say that Abraham Lincoln's 1860 campaign would probably have been the wrong time to push that issue. A leader sees the whole board, he plays his cards right, he keeps an ace up his sleeve and adheres to other Game-based metaphors that connotate good judgment. All of this is necessary in a democracy. The benign dictator model, after all, doesn't work. Because a dictator is still a dictator, and not everyone will agree that that person is benign. A sullen misanthrope who is shouting about technocratic solutions, hey, that was almost the name of this blog, will end up being like a marching band leader whose band went down a different street. A leader can, and in a democracy, pretty much has to, affect positive change by accumulating political capital and then spending that capital wisely. Trait number four. Oh, I'm getting really fancy here. A Rawlsian perspective. Okay. Okay. I am sorry for being confusing here. After all... John Rawls, a lot like Duffman, said a lot of things. That's a Simpsons reference. A simpler way to put this trait would have been if I said that the president should be a president for all Americans. That's a more plain language to say it. Why didn't I say it that way? Well, mostly to be a pretentious dick. Uh, Being highfalutin makes people less likely to question me. So that's 98% of it. But it's also because I think the phrase president for all Americans doesn't quite capture it. To me, president for all Americans sounds like a president could maybe check this box by, you know, saluting the flag at the Olympics, putting some Kwanzaa candles on the White House lawn in December, and then tweeting out a fireworks gif on Chinese New Year. Bang, president for all Americans, right? Uh, Sure. I think it's more than that. I think a president should do More than just represent us, I think he should see things from our perspective. And John Rawls' famous thought experiment is the veil of ignorance. If you weren't too stoned to function during Philosophy 101, you might recall that this exercise is the one where you're supposed to imagine yourself as a person waiting to be born. This proto-you, who it should be noted is you as an adult... Not you as a fetus, because if you were a fetus, you'd just be focusing on developing hair and eyeballs. Proto-you does not know who in the world you will be. You could be a London banker, or you could be a Mongolian farmer. You could end up being that guy who plays guitar on roller skates at Venice Beach. You don't know who you're going to be. And it's from that perspective that you're supposed to ask, what system would I want to live in? What should the rules be? What's fair? And I want the president to see things from that perspective. He needs to be able to understand and synthesize competing interests in an attempt to approximate fairness. I don't expect him to get there. I don't expect him to achieve absolute justice. None of us have enough brain power or a broad enough vantage point to know what that might look like. But I do expect him to try. This is the trait that keeps a president from being, you know, evil. A person who possesses the first three traits but not the fourth could deftly and efficiently inflict mass carnage. We would all be very impressed with his acumen as he gutted us and tossed our corpses into a flaming pit. But a president with a Rawlsian perspective knows that most people, generally speaking, oppose flaming pit corpse tossing. This trait is basically a requirement that the president have a universalist perspective that grants us all equal worth and dignity. So now, let me put all this wankery together. Knowledge is the capacity to know where we should go. Ethics is the will to try to take us there. Leadership is the ability to take us there. And a Rawlsian perspective ensures that there is a place that we want to go. And does John Stewart possess these traits? That's the question we started with. Now, if you had asked me this question in 2010, I would have been tempted to say yes. I am, of course, if you've read this blog at all, on record about how much I loved John Stewart's version of The Daily Show. I mean, seriously, seriously. I'm 42. That was on when I was in college. I watched that show, dude, just nonstop for more than a decade. John Stewart was a major influence on me. He is indirectly responsible for my entire career, though I'd ask you not to hold that against him. And I think it's fair to say that he was a leading voice in American liberalism for more than a decade. So... That's the opinion I held at one point, but I have seen Jon Stewart's Apple TV show, and my opinion is now, no, he should definitely not be president. In my opinion, I'm just going to, this is, what else can I say here? In my opinion, Stewart's show is sloppy, cheap, and to cut right to the chase, really fucking stupid. He has, unfortunately, become a person who nods along credulously, to modern monetary theory nonsense and needs to have Janet Yellen explain basic economics to him. There are links to all of this in the written version of the article. You will see what I'm talking about. Personally, I would say that Jon Stewart lacks the first two traits, knowledge and ethics. Personally, I thought that maybe the, hey, wouldn't it be wacky if this guy ran for president impulse... (laughs) might have been purged from American politics after Donald Trump. Apparently not. It does seem true to me that some people want to see Jon Stewart run against Tucker Carlson just to see if Stewart will call Carlson a dick on television again. I humbly suggest that we all grow the fuck up. The presidency does not exist for our amusement. People who think that any clown can do the job should think a bit harder about what the presidency entails. They should think at least as hard as King Tommen had to think in that Game of Thrones clip. Because after all, the answer to the question, what is wisdom, is not very simple at all. And that's the episode. And I would also like to point out to my new employer, NBC, that I mentioned... Three NBC shows in this episode. I mentioned American Auto, where I work. I mentioned The Young Rock, which is probably going to be on the same night. And, and, I mentioned Tucker. And I shat on a Fox show. I shat on Joe Millionaire on Fox. So, I am doing yeoman's work here, NBC. God, if Tucker takes off... Now, is Tucker on Peacock, NBC? God, if people start calling up Tucker now and watching the show Tucker, which ran for 10 episodes in 2000 and 2001. I mean, look, the Gen Z, all they do is watch old stuff on streaming. They just watch The Friends and Office and Seinfeld on streaming. So why not Tucker? If Tucker gets huge, I need to see residuals is the point. Why shouldn't it get huge? I went back and watched uh, Freaks and Geeks, which ran for 10 episodes in the 90s. Why shouldn't Tucker be the next Freaks and Geeks? Probably because it's terrible. I'm just looking at the the art on the Wikipedia page. Looks, looks real bad. Although I probably work with eight people who are involved with it, so I apologize to everyone scanning through this Wikipedia page. Don't recognize these names. Well, if I get in trouble for making fun of the long dead show, Tucker, that I had a good run. That's it for this week. I will be back next week to dance on the graves of dead TV shows and human beings showing no respect for those who came before me and dishonoring their memories in a way that violates the tenets of pretty much every major world religion. And there are not many things you can say that about. I will be doing more of that next week. Until then, thank you very much for listening and bye for now.